Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, not one, not two, but three guests from Amel and the Sniffers, Amy, Gus, and Declan are on the show today. And this is a fun one. It, it's it's a lot to manage with three guests, but we get through it. it. We'll get to more on that in one second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on various forms of social media at left for damien If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast. And we have all sorts of guests on it, and uh, yeah, tell them to check it out. You can also support the podcast, though, by subscribing to it and rating it on iTunes. And thank you to everyone that does do that. I really do appreciate it. Um, every time, every time, it, it, it's like, oh, very nice. Thank you very much. Uh, you can also uh, head over to patreon.com and a huge thank you to everyone that does do that and check out some of the stuff that I put up over there. Footnotes, hit lost episodes, um, videos of episodes. There's just tons of stuff over there. So you can check that out. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that does do that. It really does help keep the show going. And speaking of keeping this show going, this show would not be possible with the kind folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do, but just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of doing this thing and for that, I am internally grateful to them. And also, I long for the day for the return of the House of Vans. It's funny, I was in Chicago. I'll get to that in a second. The disaster of my trip to Chicago. But anyway, I went to go to Chicago this weekend. Had a great time in Chicago, I should say. But walked by the Vans there and saw the Channel 66 studio. And my gosh, I long to be back at that House of Vans in Chicago. But one day, that will return. Until that time, thank you very much to Vans for supporting this podcast continually. All right, on to fucked up news. I play in a band called Fucked Up 
And my God, the situation this week or last week was not, not so great for fucked up. Uh, first of all, our tour with faith, no more got canceled at the last second. Um, you, I'm sure you can find out more information on all that. Uh, and our, you know, obviously our full support goes out to faith, no more and, and Mike Patton, obviously as well. Uh, but after, you know, we thought, okay, well, we'll still go to Chicago and we'll play Riot Fest. Luckily I flew down with Lauren on some, uh, air miles that I'd been saving up. Lauren being my long suffering, uh, partner and wife, <laughs> we went down there and we're going to have a little vacation. Thought she'd come and see fucked up play at Riot Fest. Well, long story short, we had a member that could not get across the border due to, their brief quarantine time in Canada not being long enough for this thing in America, which subsequently has changed now, so it would have been long enough if the show had been this weekend. Anyway, Fucked Up did not get to play Riot Fest. But I still went down there uh, with Lauren, had an amazing time. Shout out to my buddy, Big Joe. Shout out to Mark Hurst. Shout out to my, my bud, MVP, who flew up to hang out. Darby Allen, who flew up to hang out. Uh, and, and all, everyone else I met and, and hung out with. And then a huge, huge thank you to Rise Against who hit me up and said, last minute, you want to come do a song with us? And my gosh, what a cool, cool group of people. If you've not heard their episodes, and this is not to plug their episodes, but listen to them because you will really hear that this is, I, and I've been around a lot of different bands. This is probably the most down to earth, big rock band, like the biggest band that's the most down to earth that made any sense because they are just some awesome salt salt of the earth people. And I really enjoyed getting to sing with them. Anyway, we had a good time in spite of, uh, all the setbacks, uh, with fucked up, fucked up. Didn't have a good time. I don't think that van ride back to Toronto would have been very much fun at all. No, I guarantee it would not have been very much fun at all. I can promise you that. Uh, but anyway, fucked up. The band is reissuing, uh, Epics and Minutes, finally on vinyl on the amazing Get Better Records. You can pre-order that now from them. You can also find out that we are putting out uh, Year of the Horse on Tank Crimes. If you go over to tankcrimes.com and you can find out more information about ordering it. And finally, Matador Records is reissuing David Comes to Life. And we will be doing a tour for it, knock on wood, <laughs> in January. We will figure out getting into America better if the situation is still uh, hospitable to touring in any sort of way. And uh, But anyway, so yeah, hopefully, knock on wood, we will be going to play David Comes to Life all over the United States, all over, all, all over the United States, all over Europe, or all over the UK so far. I don't think we've talked about any European dates. Anyway, that, that stuff's all coming up in the new year. You can find out more information about that over at fuckedup.c. C. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, one of the coolest bands going, Amel and the Sniffers are here. Now, originally I thought I was just going to be talking to Amy, and then Declan came on, and Gus came on, and we decided to just make a party out of it and have a really good time. Uh, unfortunately, this episode is not, you know, one of the longest ones. As I say, it's a little harder to wrangle three guests for the format of this show, but we had we have a good time. I think it's a fun episode talking to a band that really is the the band that's carrying on that that flag for Melbourne rock and roll and, and Australian rock and roll in the greater sense. We get into all of this and why Australia loves rock and roll and, you know, all, all that sort of fun stuff. 
But uh, Amel and the Sniffers have put out a brand new album. The album is available now on Rough Trade. Comfort to Me is the name of this thing, and it is awesome. They are a very exciting band, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Amy, Declan, and Gus. Amel and the Sniffers, minus one, on Turned Out of Punk. Deck, Amy, Gus, welcome to Turned Out of Punk. Thank you for coming to the show. Thanks for having us. Well, this is going to be, I don't think I've ever, no, that's not true. I have interviewed um, more than two people at once, but I normally have a system worked out for picking who goes first on this show, because I'm going to ask you how you got into punk, and then we'll just go from there. Um, But I'm also really excited to talk to you, because when Ambrose was on from Gizzard, he mentioned that you were the people that made him understand that his dad was actually in cool bands, and I love his dad's <laughs> bands, so we're going to have a lot That's to talk awesome. about. That's <laughs> awesome. But, uh, but be, the way we start the show is I'm going to ask you how you got in a punk, and so to decide who goes first, I have in my mind picked a number between 1 and 10. Uh, will each of you select a number? I will write this number down, so... I'm I'm not going to be lying when I when at the end of this thing. Okay, so pick a number between one and ten. Deck, go Ready? first. Yeah. Eight. Four. Uh, four. Um, seven. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever came across the genre. I am from a small town called Malabimbi, which is pretty hippie and pretty bogan. Bogan, I guess, were you uh, the equivalent maybe like hillbilly or something, um, and and like just country, yeah, country people. And somebody took me along to an all ages kind of punk hardcore show in a town called Lismore. And I remember just seeing everybody fashion around and like it was kind of violent. It was really small, like there was probably only fifty people there, and it was sweaty and they were yelling. And I was like, this is for me. I don't remember like the specific like moment or anything when I don't know. All I remember is being in like like grade seven or something and just thinking like the Sex Pistols were really fucking cool and like that sort of thing. Maybe like School of Rock. Maybe watching School of Rock and that sort of shit turning me onto bands. I guess absolutely okay. And Deck yourself, when was the first time you ever came across the word or, or this genre? I guess um, playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater, there was mm-hmm. like lots of punk in those games. So that was my musical awakening for many genres. Yeah, it's amazing how those soundtracks are such a jumping off on point for for people. And it's kind of coincides with like, I guess the decline of the importance of record stores where these games wind up becoming an on-ramp to alternative culture for people because yeah, you're like they're not playing that stuff on the radio. No. Nah. <laughs> maybe in Australia they do. Maybe on on like Shock TV or something, like late at night or or something. They play some of that kind of stuff, I guess. Or Triple J plays it. I guess like, I, that's the thing is culturally, I guess in Australia, punk feels a lot closer to the surface than it does in Canada or even in the U.S. I think. It's hard to kind of gauge it really because, yeah, it's like there's a lots of community radio stations. There's pretty much like one 
large, yeah, Triple J, which is a blanket kind of radio station for any kind of alternative music. It's called a youth radio station, but they play just lots of different stuff, really. Um, and they have like a whole show dedicated to hardcore and punk and everything like that. And they'll slip a couple of punk tracks in here and there. But because it's like people rely so much on community radio, um, it is probably closer, I reckon. And as well, just we're all from not from a city. Well, Declan's from a city, but it's barely that. So it's like you just get introduced to stuff in a more broad way. Like the only way I kind of enjoyed it was live music or whatever. Like when I go to see a live show at one of those old ages things, like youth centres or whatever, that's where I kind of, I just loved it there. Whereas I, I didn't know how to find any of it recorded and I'd buy their CDs for like five bucks and they're usually shit. <laughs> Yo, know, that's the thing is it is such a live energy kind of music, hardcore, you know, and especially when you see a band in a place like a community center where there's no sound system or, or there's minimal sound system. And like, it, it's, it's not the sonic that carries it. It's the energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, where'd you kind of go from, you know, hearing these bands on these various places? Like where, where was your next entry point? Like who were some of the local bands that were kind of happening for you at that time or even international bands for all of you? Um, I can't even remember. I remember there was this one, there was a band called Pur Purple Mercy, which was one of the first records I bought um, from overseas or whatever. That was dope as a kid, but I can't even remember what the jumping point was into like finding other stuff. What What, what about yourself, Declan? Um, I mean, I, I guess like I was listening to like Beastie Boys when I was in high school who had like their own punk songs that I would just sort of dabble in. But I remember like, I didn't really get like fully into punk until I was an adult and I actually saw a Canadian band called the nodes. And that was like this gig where I was like, I'm going to be a, a punk and a bunch of like local Australian bands were playing that like cunts. Who else was that? Oz mutants gentlemen and UV race were all playing that. And that's what, that was the gig where I was like, I'm going to start tucking my shirt in wearing tight black jeans and being a punk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing is it's such a, you mentioned UV race there and like total control and like, there's just such like a, a, a constant turnover of bands. And then of course the generation of bands that you guys are from. And then there's also, I'm sure the next generation below you now, right? Like it just feels like, I don't know, there's this constant replenishment of rock and roll. And there's never a dead period in music in, in the country, especially in Melbourne as a city. Yeah, I agree. It kind of just always gets passes along and passes through because anyone who wants to start playing music, really, it's like punk's pretty accessible. Like, for example, all of us, like they just you just play a couple of chords or whatever and you're going for it. Like it's such a spirit based thing. Um, like obviously there's people who can actually play and are, like are really talented and stuff like that. But for like a jumping in point, especially if you're like a younger person who's never played music, it's super it's achievable. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's like what other genre are the best records made by people like, you know, in their early twenties, you know, there's yeah, very yeah, few, exactly. you know, how about yourself, Gus? Like who were some of the early bands that you got into? Well, like the early punk bands I was into. Yeah. It was like, I was kind of into it when I was younger, like I said before, but then I kind of like dropped off for like seven years and didn't play music or like do any of that. And then when I was like, when I became of age and started going to the pub, and I started kind of watching shows around, but then like I watched the Cosmic Psychos documentary, Blokes You Can Trust. Mm -hmm. And that was fully like, that was the thing that was fully like, 
oh yeah i'm like fucking really into this like got a fucking mullet because i wanted to look like in the 80s and i was just like yep these cunts like drinking beer and just fucking you know just having a good time and i was like fucking yeah this this is for me yeah one of the best bands ever you know like they they are truly uh you know like they and and they're a band that kind of got over here you know like not over i don't know if they ever played canada but they certainly you know they recorded that record with butch vig they were like yeah they they had a profile in america yeah because that guys are like the 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 sky is the limit kind of thing like yeah seeing them do what they do and like seeing their documentary and seeing them play and listen to their music it's like to me that was just the peak of everything like they were just the coolest they are the coolest and like yeah they're everything and 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 really wild you know like this butch fig was on he's like yeah they drank a lot of beer they still do yeah. yeah they still got it they, they also seem like a band that you know like you mentioned they're still kind of around you know like they don't it, it's not like a scene where there's like a turnover and there's like all new people like it's like you've mentioned it's almost like this is being passed down and there is this sort of continuance yeah i think so and like people like them are still interested in like bands and music that's going around now and they really kind of try and support them and get interested in them and and everything like that so that really helps because they're not just like it's not like they reached a, a time period and then were like oh let's just stop music it's like they're just like we love music we love drinking beers let's still do all those things mm-hmm. i read an interview with you where you mentioned in a you know i guess at all of you uh the sort of tall poppy uh syndrome that you get in australia when you start getting internationally well regarded and it's kind of like we have that a little bit in canada but i don't think it's the same sort of way but it's interesting like i wonder if the cosmic psychos ever dealt with that you know when they were kind of going to america and getting this kind of love because i can see that resentment toronto definitely has it more than i think the rest of canada toronto there's like a real resentment when a band kind of leaves you know yeah i feel like just tall poppy syndrome in in general correct me if you guys think i'm wrong but it's just like a big part of australian culture because people just want everyone to be like i think people just really love everyday stuff and people really love just like relatable and everyday kind of people like a no frills kind of approach to stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's like a big part of it or whatever. Yeah. Like it feels like, uh, I remember going there as a young person and I was like super in a noise addict, um, Ben Lee's band when he was a little kid. And, <laughs> and I remember asking people about him and all these people were like, no, nah, we're not into Ben Lee anymore. And even when he was on the show, he mentioned how there was a time where he kind of got like cut off and it took him like, you know, a good 20 years to get back into the good graces of Australia. <laughs> Yeah, seriously, because people, yeah, I don't know what exactly the thought process is, but I'm even before the band, it's like I was, I feel the same and I felt the same. It's like anybody that was kind of popular, I was like, just a blanket rule, like, fuck them, pretty mm. much, you know what I mean? Um, which I think is crap now because I obviously know better. Like, it's like <laughs> even to like, uh, to simplify it, right? So the other night I watched Star Wars for the first time, and it's like in my head, I'd always read it off because it was so popular. Like, I was like, oh, it's overrated. But then I watched it and I was like, this is pretty much the best movie I've seen in so, <laughs> such a long time. And it was yeah. like a good reminder that just because stuff's popular or like has a reputation, it actually might just be the best thing ever. And that's why it's popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think, it, yeah, it's easy to forget that. Yeah. And I think it, like you're saying, it's, it's something that comes with age, you know, and I think comes with experience. I think of being in a band, like there's so much stuff that I gave band shit for that <laughs> now that I'm in a band, I'm like, Oh fuck that's why they did that that is yeah. understandable yeah exactly 100 percent. 
Uh, so what were some of the local bands when you first started playing? Like, who'd you guys play with live? Like, what was your kind of scene? Like, was it, because you mentioned you're not really necessarily from Melbourne. So coming to the city, what were, what was the scene like when you arrived? Well, we, yeah, when we started playing and before that, I think like a big band for everybody was Drunk Mums and, and a band called Dumb Punts. There was kind of a whole scene around them and they were all just like really friendly pe- people. They made really great music. I think they really inspired a bunch of um, current bands to play um, and they were kind of like our inspiration in a way because they'd always play these like backyard house shows and would go to almost every gig they'd play. And like even bands like Peter Bibby from Perth who's um, – like all those people are kind of big for us, I think. It's weird. Cause like, that's like, you know, as much as the cosmic cycles have a profile here, there's so much stuff that doesn't come over here, you know, and maybe I just don't have my ear attuned to it, like in the way I should, but like, it's like those bands you mentioned, like they're, they're probably huge, but they just are, it's like the same way in Canada. There's so, so much stuff that doesn't ever get out of here. Yeah. Well, I, I think I would even argue that they're not huge, but they're just huge for that. Like, for Melbourne and for the East Coast of Australia and just like, you know, like really like respected in, as like a garage punk underground kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What about like bands like Straight Jacket Nation and you mentioned like UV Race, like how did they kind of fit into your world? Was that more like hardcore stuff or is that like kind of separate scenes? Like are these things kind of like coexisting or is it sort of different scenes? No, they're definitely different scenes. Like I don't really... I'm not really can't like don't know too much about like Melbourne hardcore, but like, I mean, yeah, with like the crossover of like UV race and that kind of scene and kind of like they would play with, yeah, like the likes of straight jacket and kind of like different sounding bands. And I guess straight jacket would as well, mm. but let's say like straight jacket are probably like, they're like the kind of the big dogs of like underground, like hardcore in Australia. Well, and I guess they, once again, they're a band that toured too, right? Like they got, you know, they, I remember meeting them like when they were just over here hanging out, like, I, like even not just even before the band even formed, like just kind of around, like it was, it's always amazing, like going to Australia, meeting people, just how deep people's music knowledge goes and how, you know, like your, your band, like the fact that you guys are referencing this whole Sharpie thing, which is largely unheard of outside of, I think, Melbourne, you know, and I think that is one of the coolest things I've ever heard about. Like, where did you guys, were you guys aware of that stuff growing up? Was that kind of like part of the popular culture? Is that something you guys had to dig to find? Um, well, like this goes back again to like drunk mums and how influential they were on me. I saw the bass player, Adam, the drunk mums post something about it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it was like all, all these Sharpies photos. And, and I was like, Whoa, what the fuck is this? Like, this is like, it's like Aussies with mullets, but like, all of them have mullets. It's not like just one, yeah. like, you know, they just one out here and there every now and there. I was like, well, this whole community had um, mullets. And I was like, well, they look really cool. I don't know why I thought they looked so cool. So then I just did some like more and more research into them. And when I was like researching them, they sort of like identify as the only subculture to sort of have been generated out of Australia, which I really identified with growing up here. So I was just like, really into all that stuff and a few other bands in Melbourne got like we're sort of referencing that stuff as well so I guess like it's sort of just like we all sort of just were able to nurture that sort of sharpie revival Mm -hmm. it's amazing how cool that culture is like it is just like I remember going to vicious sloth for the first time and just being hip to it and buying books and just like 
just how deep it goes it goes back to like the 50s right like it's it's kind of like it's kind of i guess the equivalent of mods but then it's also glam and it's also it's so much there's a lot of skinhead culture in that as well Mm -hmm. i've read like i've read like it's sort of like influence between like the skinhead culture that they would see and fashion and like clockwork orange and then like it would incorporate the european migrant sort of fashion as well with like the shoes that they wore were all like custom made crazy leather boots and then like a bit of like aussie hooliganism to it as well well that's the thing also like hearing about how this was like the scary subculture like the punks were afraid of the sharpies and the punks couldn't go to the suburbs because they were afraid they were going to get like stabbed by sharpened combs and stuff like it's so wild (laughs) (laughs) and then you see like footage of these bands and it's like it's just so cool it's just everything about it's just so awesome and it's just it feels like there's a a deep cultural wealth of rock and roll and i I was wondering where do you think that kind of comes from like why do you think that strain of rock and roll is just survives today through yourselves i don't know i like i don't know why i don't know why rock and roll resonated so much with australia back then i've tried to put my finger on that for ages like why like australian bands were like oh yeah rock and roll like let's run with that sort of thing um as opposed to like glam or something else um i think probably like i don't i mean like it's hard because i wasn't around back then but like maybe like acdc getting massive that that's just like real strong we can you can identify with that it's like yeah these guys are aussies and they went and like got really huge around the world and like you know this this stuff plays all the time and they're sort of like accepted by punks accepted by rock and roll people people who like pop music like acdc still so yeah, maybe we can just credit all to ACDC. I don't know. As, as everybody would know, it's like I don't think rock and roll and, like, loving that is exclusive to Australia. But I feel like in my vision of it, just from hearing my dad and mum talk about it, it's like, it's like a huge, just huge working-class country. Um, it's in, This is my vision of it as well. Like, But it's like everyone was, in my head, everyone's outside in the sun, like, working hard, and I feel like that kind of music just, like, clicks in with that to me. Mm-hmm. you know it's like kind of sunburn and it's like you're like yeah yeah like an honest an honest representation of the working class which i guess yeah related to a lot of people yeah and i guess that's the thing about acdc like you know as much as angus young i, I suppose is in a costume at the end of the day but they they presented themselves as real people like they weren't kiss or queen or any number of these other bands like they got up there and they looked like the people that i guess would be beside you in a bar yeah yeah exactly and i think yeah that kind of maybe goes circles back to the tall poppy syndrome thing but people just like seeing people that represent themselves and like it's relatable and it's real and it's raw and it's no fancy fancy stuff even though i'd like to admit i like fancy fancy stuff a fair bit but then there's i guess as well those bands like skyhooks and stuff like that who did perform and were performative and like entertaining in their outfits and stuff like that and i feel like they copped a lot of shit yeah and i think acdc even too like you know i remember that was the first concert i ever went to i went to the razor's edge tour and they had the cannon come out for those about to rock they had the bell they had like they had like a lot of stage show at that point too like it wasn't <laughs> yeah. i don't think it wasn't bon scott screaming at cbgb's i guess by 88. yeah <laughs> and also in saying all this like this is all just guesswork and like just very vague like first thoughts of everything if I'm honest like what I'm talking about 
yeah this isn't like i haven't researched this at all <laughs> no but it's it's <laughs> interesting because like you know like to to bring it back to punk you know like acdc when i was at vicious sloth last time they showed me a poster and then it's all like the the colors of the sex pistols lp and it must be from 76 i think and it says acdc punk rock you know like it is yeah it, you know they were kind of i guess even called punk rock yeah. at certain points I've- I've seen heaps of interviews where they just keep referring before ACC sort of like got like blew up and they were still trying to like make their way over there. I've seen so many interviews where they're like, Oh, what do you think about the punk scene? Like, what do you guys think about the other punk bands? And like, I can sort of just see like Bon Scott dying a little bit in, inside every time they ask him. But yeah, it's <laughs> because like, because like they, they were like, they moved to London when like the sex pistols were sort of like coming out. So they were just like, Oh yeah, that's a punk band, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like that must have been a bit hard for them to be because I feel like they probably would have, I don't know, cared about how they sounded maybe a bit more than the Sex Pistols. (laughs) Well, there's that story about them going to CBGBs and just blowing everyone away, like just going out on stage and just like putting on the show of a lifetime. I think there was like an article in Mojo about it one time. I remember reading on tour, like it's, it's like sort of this storied show and like they, also Lauren from this band, the dogs that was like from 68, but they were like one of the first Detroit punk bands and, and Detroit rock bands. Even uh, their, their first show um, in LA was opening for ACDC on their first show in Los Angeles too. So there is like this sort of deep, you know, rooted punk thing. And I guess like, yeah, I imagine, you know, they, they took it a little more seriously than some of the punk bands, but at the same time, there's that energy we're talking about. And I think, like you said, like I've always kind of speculated, maybe it's that ACDC DNA, in Australian music that keeps this rock and roll thing alive. And not that there's not rock bands everywhere and, and rock and roll bands everywhere, but it just feels like it's so vibrant still in Australia. Yeah, I think so. And even bands like, um, like bands like Skeggs or whatever, who are really big in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's like, to me, it's like, that's a punk rock band in their own way. And they're like, they're, they're holding the, 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 um, the torture of rock in, in their own way as well. And it is kind of surf rock. It is kind of punk, but it's like, like I can really appreciate that in them. Um, and they really love for that as well. Yeah. I read an interview, uh, you dropped as an influence that, uh, um, ceremony was like a band that was influential on your yourselves. And I was just wondering where you first discovered them and stuff. And they're, 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 you know, I think like a band that gets maligned by the music press, but their influence is just so massive, like as a hardcore yeah. band and then whatever style they are now. Yeah. I can't remember where exactly I first heard it, but it would have been, I, I don't know. I would have still been in my like teen years. Um, but yeah, they're huge. They're just great. They're terrific. I never know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Roland Park, that album's so great. Yeah. I think, I think it's Roland Park. I think that's the, you know, I think that's how to pronounce it. I was just going to say like, after all these years, still don't know how to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think most of us don't know how to say bogan properly, so I think it all it all evens out in the end and stuff. That was bang and, on. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> and like piss, even like piss jeans and stuff. That was huge for us. Like, pri- yeah. like as the band was starting in the first couple of years of it, like we used to just sit in the kitchen and just play the same three tracks of them over and over and over and over again. Yeah, they're another band that I think is really underappreciated in their uh, influence and kind of like you know taking hardcore and making music that was intense but like not making it all about speed and like kind of like <laughs> making the groove kind of important again yeah because god bless the groove 
God bless the groove. You need the groove at times, you know, as much as the speed is important, you need for all the rupture, there's got to be a little <laughs> bit of groove eventually. We need a speed groove genre to be popping right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, I just did a, a Tony Molina. I don't know if you know Tony Molina, incredible songwriter dude, but he uh, he was just on and, and talked about this area of San Francisco metal where it became speed funk, where there was like this <laughs> sort of... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound great though it doesn't it, yeah. it doesn't well. speed funk to me sounds stressful like i just imagine people like trying to dance really funky but really quick <laughs> yeah it definitely seems like like one of those parts where it goes really manic in a red hot chili pepper song but as a whole genre <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned how did the band come together you got you were all living together kind of at the time right or most of you were living together right take it away Dyson. yeah uh, all right. Um, so, yeah, um, unfortunately for Gus, he's not a founding member. Um, so I'm not a founding member of my band, Gus. It's okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so uh, me, Bryce, Amy, and um, Callum, we, uh, we were all living together in, in Melbourne. And um, me, Bryce, and Callum all played in, in, in bands already. And... Amy had dabbled with some freestyle stuff over at, at some house parties. So we just were like, oh, let's start a, a house band and we'll play like house parties. Um, that'll be like a cool thing, like this house that plays house parties, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like we'll, I, I guess like the original idea was to play like B-52 sort of music. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, so Callum, he, he did like his own home recordings. So one day I got home from work and the like he'd set up like the the this recording set up in Amy's room and we just like yeah, just came up with like four songs on the spot. Is that the stuff that's on that very first EP? Yeah. So like did you know had you already decided the sound wasn't good? Because that, that first EP obviously is, is very much in line with the sound that you have now, not so much like the B fifty twos. Like was that yeah. something you were surprised by or was that already something you were like, let's let's be more of like a straight up rock band? I consider the B fifty twos a punk band too, by the way. So I'm not I think like the the craziest thing about the first EP is the bass and the guitar were both DI'd. So I never heard the guitar track or bass track <laughs> until it had been released. Um because we couldn't you know there was we just didn't have the resources for that so like yeah. we just sort of i guess like went in and just like i i couldn't hear if i was playing the right notes or not i was just like yeah sweet let's just do this and that's just like how it came out i guess like there's just no thought to it at all i think what were those earlier bands that you mentioned that you were playing in sounds like mine was like a drunk mom's riff off band we were garage <laughs> yeah okay. some punk songs garage songs and and like so how long after that ep kind of gets like how does it circulate online because that that got like a lot of love in the beginning too right like right away yeah yeah did it got it we just checked it on Bandcamp, and then um you know just like shared it on our facebooks or whatever and and chucked it out like that and i don't really know what happened but just kind of got like some kind of life of its own i think people were just sharing it around and um and having a sticky beak on Bandcamp and stuff like that. And then it, it kind of feels like that's also like, once again, like we keep talking about how there, there's almost like waves of stuff happening. And it feels like 
there's this moment in Melbourne where there's like yourselves, there's like a changeover of scenes and there's like this new wave of bands. Was it, did you feel that time energy at the time? Or is that something that was already kind of happening when, when, you know, you started getting out there and playing live? I personally didn't notice it because I just wasn't too aware of like the peripherals and like how everything was affecting everything in general. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. How about yourself, Declan? Um, I don't know, yeah, I think like as well, like with like with what Amy said, like, you know, I probably would have paid more attention if I knew like all these years down the track I'd be like doing like a podcast on it. You know what I mean? But like yeah. at, at the time when life was like that simple, it was just like chaotic and, and young and it was just like, Oh yeah, sweet, we have a gig this weekend, like who can I borrow a guitar and an amp off of? And like you just don't I don't know I just wasn't really paying attention to anything else you know what I mean it's just like oh what day of the week is it Tuesday cool I guess it's okay to have a beer I don't know <laughs> so what like where were you playing out first like where is it like you know all ages spaces or is it more like like clubs or bars or we played a lot of um just like kind of any venue that would have us would play like if someone hit us up to play we'd just say yes but there was venues like Yaya's which was just kind of this upstairs venue that have like a downstairs dance night or whatever and they used to do these 2 a.m slots so we we played a bunch of those and this was when our set was like 10 minutes long to 15 minutes long um and we'd just like jump on for a bit and then get out of there we played a bunch yeah just a bunch pretty much everywhere and anywhere um like even just venues like cherry bar which is just a rock and roll kind of tribute bar i don't know if it exists anymore and then um like the, the curtain just yeah just anywhere that would have us it, it feels like there's you know like you mentioned there's this moment where it starts happening internationally like was that was that something that brought stress for you knowing that this was going to change like you mentioned how this band was so casual like but when that international success starts coming like when you're playing south by southwest and you're playing these sorts of like international festivals like did, was that completely joyful or was there was there a stress attached to it because like i think coming out of punk there's always a guilt with success I think so too. I felt a bit intimidated and just, it did just feel really foreign to me. Like I still don't know anything like much about like magazines or radios or, you know, even festivals and venues that all these iconic stuff that lots of people who are music fans or um, yeah, appreciate the music community at all. They, it's like, they're really amazing to them and special to them, but I still, it's still foreign to me. So it's kind of like intimidating because you get we get these offers to do these things. We'll go along to them and be like, yeah, I know this is a really great thing. I know this is important and I know this is special, but I actually just don't have the information behind it for it to mean as much as it should. And then as well, just feeling intimidated by being off home soil. Like I always feel most happy and comfortable when I'm down here. Um, but so it was intense, but also super like we wanted it and it felt really good and we you know, we had lots of fun and have lots of fun, but it is stressful. And it is weird leaving like a smaller, smaller music scene and kind of like stepping into this thing. Cause you kind of question, you're like, Oh, am I like, am I still a good person because I'm like taking on jobs, like the big festivals that only pop bands play in my head. And like, you know, I think a lot of that started with ignorance and like, I think all I am in the, place right now where I think that like all musicians are just musicians and like it doesn't really matter what kind of genre you make if you're a sick cunt and if you like you like the right shit and you think the right way it's more about just who's a good person at the end of the day than you know like where what music you make and and what genre you you slot into in this thing yeah definitely 
But it definitely also, a, a level of intimidation for sure. It also feels like genres breaking down. You know, like I have so many people on the show that are, you know, like are, are younger than myself. Um, like yourselves are definitely younger than myself too. But like where it just feels like the religious sort of adherence to like genre doesn't seem as important anymore. Like you don't have to, you know, be this sort of like strictly doom rock guy or strictly black metal person or, you know, you can be in everything now. Yeah, I think if you limit yourself to one genre, you just you're just fucking yourself up because everything's so enjoyable. Like we all enjoy different stuff for different reasons. Like we all dip our toes in, yeah, like rap or pop or punk or garage or just straight up rock and roll, like whatever. It's all, you can find pleasure in each of them. I think a lot of that came from the fact that people were limited by resources to like, you had to go to a record store and you can only buy like one thing, right? True, (laughs) yeah, true. Yeah, that's true actually. Yeah, with the internet, everyone can just literally dip into anything. Yeah, like you could like I like I today uh, listen to stuff that I there's no way I would have bought in my life. Yeah, but like it was just like oh well, I can, I can you know it's all in my. That's true. What do you think about that? Are you do you think it's a positive thing that there's like streaming services and and stuff like that? Or do you think that it? Yeah, what's your opinion? Well, I I use them, so I I think any any uh, negative opinion I have towards them would be based in hypocrisy. But I think like. <laughs> You know, I'm like someone who's like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I got like too many records in this place. Like, I'm, I'm obsessed with collecting records, but at the same time, it's like, you know, like the day Kendi said, give me convenience or give me death. Like we're, we're not, no one's going to put this genie back in the bottle. Now we, we all want, like, I want to have every song in the world in my pocket. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it's like, it's like anything that's like positive and negative to it. Like, for example, for us with Bandcamp and that, it's like, if, if we had to do it traditional way without the internet, it'd just be impossible for us to be in this position now because mm. people could just click on it and if they thought it was shit, they could move on or if they liked it, they could continue being interested in us. Whereas, yeah. Well, it's it's funny, like, and now technology has made this a lot easier, like you're saying, but like how many people have come on this podcast and talked about just how how the economics reality of things change things. Like the fact that people in certain scenes had a lot of money and so that's why there's a lot of records from these scenes because these people could afford to put out these records and could afford good gear and to record because this shit was crazy expensive back then and yeah and like you're saying like you know bands that with like yourselves that had no resources like how would you get your shit out there if it wasn't for this free kind of system yeah exactly even stuff like you know as as we all know what everyone's thoughts are about social media, it's like that's also super helpful because you can just kind of like find music that you wouldn't have found without it. Like it's, it's like a weird record store or social event in your little stupid pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's also like you can crowdsource a scene now. Like you could be an artist who's not necessarily very popular in your hometown, like, but there might be enough people around the world. Like I, I'm, I'm a, I'm in a swear word band. I'm 300 pounds and I'm bald. Like. I've built a career in music. I shouldn't be able to do this, but because of the internet, I was able to do it. <laughs> I swear that, man. You know, like that's, that's, but this is like, we like live in this world where, yeah, like I, you know, I, I see bands, a lot of bands complain about the, these payouts and they're, they're horrible what these companies pay us. But also at the same time, like this technology has allowed me to have this career that I don't think I would have had in the, you know, certainly not the way I did in a, in the old world. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's why consumerism and stuff so fucking weird. But, like, even 
you know, getting say like an interface or a couple of mic cables or whatever, it's like, it's cost a lot of money, but I'm sure as hell it didn't, it's, it's way more cheaper than what it would have been. Mm. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's like literally if, if you can save up enough for that, it's like you can pretty much record at home um, and then just go from there, check it online for free. And it's like, that's pretty special and pretty dope, even though it, it has its, um, its downfall. It's, it's great too. Yeah. And it's amazing to see how much stuff like, you know, yourselves, like you recorded in your, your, your house and put out this tape and, or not even a tape, you put out these files yeah. and they became, you know, they launched a band, but like, you know, in the same way, Chief Keef did the same thing, you know, and it's like <laughs> all these artists that otherwise we might not have heard that we're now able to hear, you know, and I just, uh, I don't know, as much as I'm pessimistic about it and as much as I love being a gatekeeper at a record store kind of vibe i think at the same time it's like who does that serve at the end of the day yeah exactly um was it hard to kind of be creative for you during this pandemic thing because i have found that near impossible it was actually really good for me last time well like because we're in our sixth lockdown at the moment in victoria personally it was good because i'm i function pretty slowly and i'm pretty lazy <laughs> mm. like i'm a pretty lazy person so like, even if we had band practice, like we all used to live together, even if we had band practice, like twice a week, I'd be like, fuck that. I'm not touching my bass unless I absolutely have to um, like fucking. Yeah. Cause I'm just a piece of shit, but like being locked down. Yeah. Cause I'm a bass player, <laughs> real piece of shit. <laughs> being locked down, being like so fucking bored. It was like, you know, I'd kind of just chip away at it like every day, even just for like 10 or 20 minutes, have a like little noodle around and managed to like write a fair few songs, which was dope. Got off my fucking ass and finally did something. Mm. Um, but yeah, personally, it was good. Yeah. I, I just found it was like, it, it's hard to get excited. You know, like that was the hardest thing. And like writing exciting music, it's, it's hard to get excited to get there, to write stuff. But I definitely, uh, yeah, I, I definitely function better not on tour as a, as a human oh, being. Totally. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Hey. <laughs> Um, well, this has been a lot of fun and anytime you all, or any of you want to come back on here and bullshit about music, you know, the door is always open. Ah, cool. Beautiful. Thank you very that's, much. That's dope. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Declan, Amy, and Gus for coming on the show. And Bryce, I'm looking at you when they come back for this part two. Or maybe was, someone will come back. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Coming up later on this week on the show, we got another episode of The Splits Dropping. That's right. I've been putting out these uh, new Splits episodes. I think I've only done one so far. But this is the number two where we kind of get two people back on the show meeting up for the first time. You know, I think that's going to be the gimmick of this thing. I'm going to try and do it where everyone's meeting up for the first time. So for the first time meeting up to celebrate the release of one of the greatest Canadian records, records ever, Hardcore 81 by DOA, returning to the show for the third time, Joey Shithead, Joey Keithley. I guess, you know, when, once you become an elected member of government, you should probably drop the shithead. <laughs> Maybe I should drop the shit, I should say. Joey Keithley will be here with John Ross Bowie coming back to the show a DOA super fan and a, a hardcore 81 aficionado. And the two of us 
get a chat with with the legend with Joey and 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 John is a legend as well. And anyway, this is a fun episode. I cannot wait for you to hear it. And check out John's podcast, uh, Household Faces, a great podcast interviewing um, character actors and stuff. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. That's it for the show. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. You need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. We need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths and just, you know, stop trying to control women's or people with uteruses bodies because you know what like at the end of the day this shit isn't political this is fascism this is this is you know nazi bullshit these are these are these are human rights issues that we're talking about people needing to be free and so anyone that's stopping that they're not they're not engaged in politics they're engaged in something completely different they're engaged in 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 hate and and anyway yeah. So, you know, get involved, do something, get, you know, if you see something happening around you that you don't agree with, say something, do something, get, you know, are there organizations that are doing great work? Donate your time, donate your money, donate what you can, you know, just be involved. Uh, go there and make your own culture. Cause anyone can do this bullshit, start a podcast, start a fanzine, whatever it takes, you know, whatever, just, just do it. Try meditating maybe once or twice. It, it might work. It, I didn't believe in it, and it works for me. Um, and sign your organ donor cards because uh, it can help someone live way longer. And why not? You don't need that shit when they come looking for it. And that's about it. Stay sane. Stay safe. Uh, try and stay sane, I should say. You know, sometimes you, you, you can't help it, but try. Um, and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.